Welcome to the Prize of Possibility podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mitch Ablett. I have a strong belief that the greatest prizes in life are hidden in plain sight. They are the nuances, the nooks and crannies of everyday moments that are easily missed. Join me in these conversations with authors and influencers and researchers to miss fewer of them, to truly claim these prizes. All right, welcome everyone. Uh, in this episode, I am very pleased to welcome Kim John Payne uh, to the show. Kim is a consultant and trainer uh, to, I believe, hundreds of uh, schools in the United States. He's a former school counselor, and then for, I believe, over 27 years, a family counselor. He has been sought out as an expert on you know, family and parenting issues, all the major networks, CBS, ABC, BBC, NPR. He's the author of uh, two of his books I've read that are just you know, such wonderful resources, uh, the bestseller, Simplicity, uh, parenting, and then being at your best when your kids are at their worst. And he lives, and we didn't get the, we were chatting just before I hit record. I believe you live in Asheville, which isn't too far from me here in uh, Newton, Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Up in the, uh, up in the hill towns of uh, Western Mass. Yeah. Where it's, where it's very beautiful. I, I love mm -hmm. coming out that way. Mm -hmm. uh, and he lives there with his uh, family. So Kim, awesome to meet you and, and welcome to my show. Um, you know, can I just launch right in with something that I'm, yeah, I'm wondering dude, about? Yeah, it's yeah. great to be with you, Mitch. Thanks. Yeah, oh, yeah. Thanks for thanks so much for doing this. And I and I do mean what I'm saying, folks. You know, I've really you know as a dad myself, and uh, and as a therapist working with uh, families uh, for you know 20 years, I've really um galvanized a lot inside myself in reading uh, your work kim and there's just such cool overlap between your work and mine i was so excited that uh, we were able to meet and do this so I'll, I'll put this out there one of the things that you say um toward the beginning of your book uh, being at your best when kids are at their worst you say something about i may misquote this a bit you know, that this is this book, and I'm sure your work in general is a, a map to a journey within yourself uh, for the parent versus kind of standard self-help. I, I thought that was a really important comment. Um, what, what do you mean by that, that a, a map to a journey within yourself? Yeah, it's a, um, one of the things about, about what kids need, uh, and they need a bunch of things from us as parents. But one of the primary things they need is for us to be primary. They need for us to be the kind of sovereign, the governor of the family state. Mm. They need us, in, 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 the, in, in the positive interpretation of this, to be alpha. They need us to, to be the ones guiding the family. And, um, you know, and what I, what, what I uh, hope to achieve in all of my books is to not place the parent as secondary, mm. but, to, um, but to place the parent as primary and walk alongside the parent through, through that journey. That's, that's one sort of uh, aspect of that, what I meant by writing that. Yes. The other, the other aspect of it was um, more 
more to do with um, emotional self-regulation mm -hmm. and how, um, uh, you know, this principle I talk about in the book, Mitch, which is all about, um, I, I say in one of my other books, um, that I've never met a disobedient kid in my life. Um, mm. And I've been a school counselor, family counselor, as you said, and I've met some right little rotters. I can <laughs> I really yeah. have. Well, right. Little, right little button presses. But, That's right. But I don't believe in disobedience. I, I believe in disorientation. These oh, kids are disoriented. They are disoriented. And what they're doing is they're pinging us. They're echolocating with their behavior. Oh, wow. And, um, and, that, and the reason that, that, that I wrote this is to journey within yourself is that when you know you're getting pinged, a lot of things change because then you don't take it. It's really hard to have like what I think of as the wonder of wondering, like you, you know, mm. you're getting pinged and you, and you wonder, huh, I wonder what's up for you. Why, yes. what, why are you so lost little guy? What's going on? Right. Or whatever, just that inside talk. If we wonder like that, some really wonderful things happen because it's really hard to take it personally then. Yes. Yeah. We're into a different, we're into a whole different, you know, way of thinking about our kids. And the part, the part I love about it is we don't particularly need to come up with some spectacularly, uh, you, you know, insightful parental uh, in, uh, piece, piece of information. The, the fact is we're wondering. And by yes. wondering, we've, we've just changed the trajectory of where that, whole in interchange was going to go to a whole better place that is that is so important i'm so glad that we started this way because what i hear and what you're saying i love that idea of kids are not disobedient they're they're disoriented they're pinging us they're mm -hmm. my way of saying that to to parents is that you know kids behavior is a, is a message to you they're they're giving you mail and and how will you receive it because what I what I hear in all this is that, you know, it's very active to shift your paradigm as a parent and 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 be more fully in that moment and be curious with them. Wonder what what's going on in this kiddo right now. Yeah, like I agree, Mitch. Like behavior. Don't you think it's it's behavior is just communication. Mm -hmm. it, it, but but the 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 piece that's important is is what is my child communicating? But in order yes. to read what they're communicating, we've got to be relatively centered within yes. ourselves yes. Um, and kind of getting over our own stuff to some extent. I don't say calm. I mean, that's gold medal standard parenting when your kid's being a little bugger. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but, the, but at least centered, you know? And yes. That's what that, that book you were talking about, that's what that's all about. It's like, how do you, how do you have a different, it's, it's, it's what I, um, it's, it's what I think of more and more as an emotional muscle memory, you know, how athletes yes. have muscle memory that just kicks in. They train, they train, they train. They don't have to think about it. And when the game's on the line, they make the big basket. They do whatever uh, they do, make that, that beautiful pass. Right. Um, because they don't have to think they've trained similarly with parenting um, we can have emotional muscle memories or we can have emotional um, repetitive emotional muscle strain where 
what I mean by that is that we're just moving, we're acting in the wrong way over and over and over. And it's really straining our relationship yes. with our kids. So I use that metaphor of, of muscle strain and muscle memory and, and, and sort of lift that onto an emotional level. And often when we're getting emotional muscle strain, a lot of that has got to do with um, our own biography, the way yeah. we were parented. Yep. Um, a good friend of mine in her book, uh, Never Broken, the writer and songwriter Jewel, she says, if it's hysterical, it's historical. Mm. Um, and I love that, you know, like if I'm getting real triggered by a child, like, hang on a minute, what's what's going on here? And otherwise, I'm getting into old grooved in action reaction patterns. Yes, and yes. Just, you know, I'm just, we're, we're, we're being a parent, we just don't want to be. We don't, we don't want to be this person. Yes, I, I have to say, you know, in my clinical background, I, I was the, for many years, the clinical director of a, uh, what are called therapeutic schools, a, a private therapeutic program for special education kids with emotional behavioral challenges. And, and one of the things that I took on was creating a parent training group. And I used some, you know, pretty standard and, you know, research supported protocols to you know, guide me in teaching parenting skills to the parents. And notably at the time that I started this, I was not a parent myself. Um, and, you know, my perspective definitely shifted once I was. But one of the things I, I remember, it's, you, know, you just reminded me of, that the assumption in my read on these protocols was that the parents are pretty, you know, regulated themselves. They're pretty even, they're kind of a blank slate and it's more just what they're doing toward the child. And I was like, well, what, what about the, the parent themselves? What about their own experience? What are, what are they doing internally versus what they're just doing externally toward this kiddo? And that seemed to be a big missing piece that I then ended up shifting my attention to how to help parents with, with that. Yeah, you know, it, it's really interesting you did that because when a when a child is upset uh, number one they're very vulnerable right i mean it's mm -hmm. hard they, they're being aggressive and angry and shouty and but they're actually really vulnerable that's yes. the first thing i think to understand the second thing to understand is that it's much worse for them it is way worse for them than it is for us mm. they're the ones being angry we're receiving it but it's really hard for them but yeah. the third thing it to, I think is helpful to understand is that when they're angry, they can they are scanning us. I mean, it's very primitive. It's very primal. The, the, the words don't matter anymore. They're looking into our they're looking into our feelings. They're looking into our emotions. They're reading our body language. Yes, um, and they can do it well when they're. Yep like that when they're in good shape they don't particularly care so much but right when right they're, when they're like that they're reading us now where i was going with this mitch is that we can be relatively okay on the outside and be holding it together but if on the inside there's a whole nother narrative going on if on yes. the inside we are frustrated angry even some rage starting to come up we're holding it together on the outside kids know it when they're in yes. that state, because they're scanning it and they're not sure, particularly little kids are not exactly sure, but it's scary 
when the yeah. inside inside emotions don't match the outside words yes and then the pinging starts big time yes. then because they're trying to they're trying to get those two things to match because it's scary you know yes and and so the behavior kind of escalates and a lot of parents have said to me over the years it's certainly my own lived experience is that as we get those two things to match as we deal with our inner stuff um and get at least as i said like get centered be okay mm -hmm. in those moments okay ish you know but in yes. those moments we're doing all right and then outwardly we're doing all right not brilliantly perhaps but we're doing all right then kids can back off the pinging a little bit because yeah. it there's a match between the two yes yeah i i hearing that which just resonates so deeply with me again particularly I mean, I, I hope I was helpful to people before I had kids. The depth of my own um, experiential understanding obviously went through the roof once I had my two kids. Uh, I remember when my daughter, who has uh, whatever sensitivity I have uh, that perhaps helps me as a therapist and as an author and whatnot, she is off the charts. She's exquisitely fine-tuned as a, an emotional receiver. And to your point around how much they feel and how hard it is for them, we were on a, a flight, this is long before COVID, and her anxiety was clearly high, but we didn't know just how high it was until my wife nudged me with her elbow. We were sitting on, uh, across the aisle and I looked over at her armrest where her hand had been resting and it was shining wet from the sweat mm. uh, from her hand on the on the armrest. Mm. And it was just it was kind of a wake up call to how intensely her experience can be when she's, you know, struggling inwardly and and outwardly. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. How, how do parents begin to do this shift internally you know when you work with folks or in, in your writing what do you recommend they do to make this shift that ends up being felt by the kiddos yeah there's a couple of steps you know the, the, the knowing you're getting pinged is a really big one just knowing mm. that, that that your child's just lost and they're and they're hoping that you'll help them find themselves even yeah. though it doesn't look like it because they're being they're being pretty you know fresh and sassy with what they're doing yeah the other aspect to it um i kind of lean into a lot of the somatics work in body-based and um psychology and if we're aware of where our body tensions are you know like mm. most of us are well actually all of us have got one you know like got one or two or three but you know when you start to when you start to get stressed and you're right on the verge of getting triggered with your kids, where do you feel it? That's mm -hmm. another fantastic thing to tune into. Do I feel it in my throat? A dad was saying to me yesterday, because I still have a, a, you know, a private family counseling practice and mm -hmm. I'm seeing people you know, day in, day out. And a dad was saying to me yesterday, he starts to feel uh, butterflies in his stomach. Then he starts to feel cramped and then he starts to feel nauseous and then he shouts. Mm. He was very clear about it. I really admired that day. Yes. Thought, Gosh, that's real, real clarity. Yes. And so um, one of the early steps when I work with parents is to um, is to understand 
the early warning sign and to and to and to really know it and if like you get like one mum said to me a couple of weeks ago i get this cl uh, clamping feeling around my throat and my voice feels very constricted mm. and quite quickly after that i know that things are going to escalate i know that probably i'm going to say something that i'll regret later and yes um, so one of the, uh, my advice is that when you get that kind of uh, cramping, locking, often it's tension, body tensions, locking out, um, that you go towards it. You really go mm. move towards it and go, oh boy, okay, my throat's, my thro throat is really clamping down here or my shoulders yes. or my jaw is, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to grind my teeth. Yeah. Um, and, and to notice it and just give it, the, give it some attention Yes. Because if we give it some attention, a couple of things happen. As you know, Mitch, one of them is if you give it attention, you're actually shifting, you're shifting your own attention back to yourself and away from uh, the child, uh, the space between you and a child that is getting fiery. Yeah. Um, and if you shift your attention back to yourself and think, whoa, I am... I, I, I'm getting really on the on the edge of getting triggered. Our body usually gives us about three to five seconds lead time. Yeah, um, it'll give us just that little those 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 few heartbeats. Yes, to become aware that something's going to happen. Now, that's the space we've just bought a little bit of space. Right. Probably like you, Mitch. Uh, I don't know if you experience if you've been through this, but in my early uh, clinical practice. I was working with domestic abusing uh, fathers mm -hmm. and these were good guys. And, and like you, it was before I had my own kids, mm -hmm. right? But they'd been through all kinds of therapies and they were very ashamed of what, of what they were doing, many of them. But we had to begin with like, know your body signals. You just need that. You need that three to five seconds. Yes you need that you need to know that your kids are pinging you need to know that just be be um rather than accusatory be inquisitive just mm. you know, um in, when when we can be inquisitive and curious about what's going on with our kids uh a whole lot changes just ask uh, ask them ask a kid if, if you're if you've bought that three to five seconds you've shifted your biochemistry just a little bit Yes. Then, then you, then what? I mean, the key, key kind of question, obviously, is then what can you do within that space? Right. Like, where, what do you do then? And it's one of the things that I think of as, as the parent athlete. Um, I had, a, I was lucky enough to have a, a, a great, you know, like a fun, uh, well, sort of fun athletic career until I got to a certain so-called elite level and to a national level where it's really stopped being fun. It's so mm -hmm. stopped being fun. And what I, um, I was uh, like in, the, in a national but younger under 17 team and the big guys, the, the people in, in, the, in the adult team, they had sports psychologists. And so yes. I would always hang around the dressing room to listen to these guys because I was uh -huh. fascinated. Yes. One of them approached me one day and said, are you interested in this? And I said, well, kind of I am because, uh, you know, I, I hate these sort of tens of thousands of screaming people. It really, I, it, I can't, I get caught up in the outer stuff 
Yes. I don't know if I said this then, but I know it now. I was caught up in the outer stimulation and I was losing track of where I, where I actually stood within myself. Yes. And so this um, psychologist, lovely guy, taught me visualization, mm-hmm. taught me how to recenter myself. Um, and I enjoyed, I enjoyed the sports much, much more after that because there was a balance between outer and inner. Yes. And honestly, Mitch, you know, representing my country in a major sport was just nothing compared to being a parent. Just no, just not even. Paled in comparison. Oh, yes. my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Because when kids are doing stuff, you can tend to get really caught up in what they're doing. Yes. You take it personally, and it becomes a whole thing that starts up. Um, and I guess my advice to parents, which, which I you know, try to take myself, is, is get that balanced, get that back in whack. And I use the power of visualization a lot mm-hmm. so that I remember in that moment when I'm getting triggered that actually this is a beautiful child. This is a totally yeah. child in front of me. We've had such fun. They have been so great. They are so empathetic. They are so lovely. And they are such, and they are so revolting right now. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's no good not, it's no good pretending they're not being, you know, fresh and sassy and kind of revolting. Um, And that's all good. But to remember, but one of the things I find about being a parent athlete, and I learned this from this psychologist, is that you have to practice visualization. You can't just like do it when the big moment comes. Yeah, to practice. Yes. Practice it. And now some of us call it meditation, others call it prayer. I call it practice. Mm. Um, if we practice visualizing um, at the uh, what I call the essential child, if we practice this in the being at your best book, there's a whole section on the compassionate response. Yes. And if we practice, uh, uh, you know, seeing the whole child so that we don't get caught up just in the negativity and we a couple of minutes a day, just like max, like really, it's just uh, one mum was saying to me a couple of weeks ago, she, she has a shower in the morning, she turns the water on, she puts her hand under the water as she's waiting for it to get warm. She just remembers the, the gorgeousness of a child, the beauty yes. of a child, the difficulty her child presents her, but she practices this visualization every single day for about however long the water takes, 15, 20 seconds, every single day. And she oh, said, I love that. Changed a whole lot of things because now when... Her daughter, she has a daughter who is, is um, a neurodivergent, is autistic. Yes. And now when her daughter um, triggers her, they get right on the verge of triggering. She just has that, well, we're back to that emotional muscle memory. It just kicks right in. She remembers this beautiful, delicate child that she has. And it, and it shifts what was yes. going to be a difficult reaction into being the voice, the voice she was saying, the voice that comes out of me is my voice, mm. not some weird voice that I know comes from someplace else that I don't want to be. I think that is so crucial. And, and I love the athlete dimension, the practice frame versus, because you know everyone can access the value of, of practice versus something that feels like, well, it's just another thing I have to add you know meditation or, or whatever but you know you know one thing i also wanted to throw out there see what you you think about it that so many of the parents i work with they're worried that if they pause 
if they go in, they're going to get walked on. Or if they respond and try to cultivate a compassion for their child or to, to uh, you know, remember the beauty or the, the, the goodness, the inherent goodness that's in their child, well, that, that's going to that's gonna be weak. And they're, they, they don't want to show up as weak with their kid and get walked on. So, you know, I, I'm, how, how would you respond to that? Because, you know, to me, you know, I think we're probably of the same mind with this. Compassion is not weak. It's actually quite courageous and bold uh, to show up, particularly in tough moments with compassion. But uh, that, yeah, that was just occurring to me. Yeah, it, it's no, I'm really glad you brought it up because because when when one uses the word compassion, it often uh, kind of has it evokes softness, gentleness, and so on. Compassion can be very firm, very, mm. very firm. When, when we uh, work, when we get it balanced from inside and outside, when in the moment we're triggered, we actually center ourselves via visualization and we center ourselves, then um, you can, and a lot of parents have said this to me over the years in one way or another, I now have uh, give myself full permission to be really assertive with my child, really yes. all, very very gentle. But but if I choose firmness and assertiveness, um, because that's what's needed. First of all, I just love it when a parent says that because embedded in that is I choose. Yes. <laughs> right. That's yes. the first piece. Of like yay, you know, like great. That's the first piece. I choose. And the second is that the again the voice that comes out of you is is yours. It's 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 um and it's authentic. It's real, and you can be very assertive if you need to be and firm, and not be worried you're going to lose it. That's right. That's right. Because a lot of parents, and I totally get this. We we some of us might back off confronting a child with something they need a boundary on because we're worried that we're first of all going to lose the relationship rupture yes. the relationship or we're worried that we're going to lose it and shout and scream and and we don't want to go there so we back off now if we back off a kid who's pinging us who's echolocating yes like they'll come after us that's right Right. They don't so, feel safe. They don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. So when we get this, when we use the power of compassion via, you know, visualizing by, by this parent athlete thing that I think about a lot. Also, what I want to mention is that it opens up a broader range of, of uh, responses. Mm. In other words, you know, you can be you can be assertive and firm. You can be understanding and kind. You can be inquisitive and ask this key question that I find when we're centered, we can ask, can you help me understand what's going wrong? Yes, you can drop into that curiosity piece. Yeah. And then you, if you choose to do that, but, it, but so often when our kids are pushing our buttons, every button on our control panel, the, the kind of colors, to use that metaphor, on a palette that we're working with are just red and bruised yes. Um What I'm suggesting is that when through visualization, specific kinds of visualization, uh, this isn't random. In, 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 in my work, it's very um, uh, kind of well-refined because we have, 
We have a well over a thousand simplicity parenting coaches around the world and they're all practicing this. They all bring this to their groups. Mm. So we get a lot of feedback quite cross-cultural from all different cultures. And the feedback we get over and over is that when, when these very specific visualizations are practiced, then um, the colors that we have, so to speak, available to us, the tools that we have available to us are much broader. You've got a full toolkit now. You don't just have, uh, you know, a hammer and a screwdriver. Yes. Everything. Yes. You've got a much more nuanced toolkit or color palette. Um, but the, the centeredness, um, maybe calmness, but I don't, I don't think kids always want us to be calm. You know, calm is okay, but that can be really annoying. Uh, and boring <laughs> yeah. they, they want a response and they want it to be genuine now if, if a calm response is genuine that's great but very often they they want us to to say look i can see you are really really bugged by what your brother just did i get it can you help me understand what was went wrong and you know and the voice is real you know you, yes. you read it that it's that it's not oh geez as as as, as Two, two girls, one mum was telling me she'd been through a bunch of parenting books and her 12-year-old daughter turned to her 10-year-old daughter and said, uh, when her mother said something that didn't sound like her, you know, it sounded yes. inauthentic. And the daughter, the older daughter said, don't worry, she's read another parenting book. She'll be okay. <laughs> <Right>? we've, got to, <laughs> we've got to be so careful to sound like us. Us. I think that is so crucial. And if there's nothing that uh, other you know people take away, it's that by, you know, regulating, practicing, going in and balancing, like you're saying, and and bringing compassion to it, you you get these options. You find your authentic voice as a parent. And I think that's so beautiful. And the message isn't out there enough. You know, parents they they read all these books, right? You know, you know, seven habits of parenting or whatever. And it's this laundry list of stuff that they then feel less than about, like, I can't show up to all of this. I'm, I'm not a great parent, yeah. but they are, they have to touch in to their own authentic voice. Exactly. And, and, the, and the way I find to do that is parenting books are great and podcasts and so on. It's I, 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 you know, I'm an avid listener and reader of, of, yeah. of, of that material, but, but, ultimately it has to the fast track for me for it sounding authentic feeling okay and feeling like yeah i can keep this up this is 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 for it to be is for our like to pay attention to internally what we're going through because we can say to a kid um uh um i can i can totally see that that is upsetting that is so upsetting what your brother did you know he went into your room he took the baseball mitt he didn't ask you i can see that is really tough stuff or we can say i can see that and we've learned to make i can see statements mm -hmm. and it's so infuriating when we when we to a kid who's desperately in need of us because we're getting pinged yes and, and they're not finding it i guess mitch the thing though is that if we are inauthentic our kids will, um, what's the euphemism, help us? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. 
Well, and that that reminds me, Kim, that you know, one of the things, you know, as you know, I, I write about is that there's a danger with praise, uh, you know, and and how it is uh delivered to kids and with what intention is it delivered to kids. And there's you know, growing research around this that particularly if it's inauthentically given, you know, that you know, kids can you know, similar to what you were saying earlier, they can feel that and that can affect them and it can lead to outcomes that uh, may not be intended by the parent. Uh, but I wonder what you think about the, you know, you know, praise and how it tends to come down in our society. Well, you know, ever since I first heard Elfie Cohen speak about that, remember Elfie would talk like, you know, raised by, punished by praise and so on. It really struck me because you know, I'm a, I'm a kid of the seventies and um, it just wasn't a feature of, of growing up. Then yeah. we weren't particularly praised. Mind you, I grew up in a Presbyterian family. We <laughs> praise in Presbyterian. Family. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> it's just ain't none. Um, but the, um, but the, the, the inauthenticity that you write so well and so beautifully about that's the piece that that more and more our kids are surrounded by virtual world virtual yes. relationships yes. and more and more they need their relationship with the people around them to be real more yeah. and more real yes. um just to just purely to have a counterbalance to, to all this virtual stuff yes that is, that is going on we right. can't and and if we over praise and our praise is, is, is empty, then um, we're kind of tilting towards the virtual to the not quite real. Yes. We already get a ton of that. The, um, and the other thing with overpraising kids is they're kind of, um, I write about this in the Soul of Discipline book where I talk about, you know, if you, if you praise a kid and they know it's not quite real, They've got a, they've got some choices. One is that they, you know, when you really praise them heavily, is that they'll believe you. They'll choose mm -hmm. actually to believe you, and that's troublesome because I know, you know, in my own life, if I was raised like that and I and, and I'm praised and praised and praised, and I get into a marriage, my wife, in my case, my wife is not always going to praise everything. I'm that's doing. right. That's like, right. How dare she not? <laughs> there are occasions. I should I talk to her about that. Yes. I receive praise, right? But I'm unprepared for it if I've been yes. that way. And the other option is, and again, this is this is research that you've really delved into and in thinking, is that they will believe you. You know, yeah, and yeah. Um, and if and that's that's a that's a danger. If they don't believe you, then you they they start that the relationship thins because, well, you know, you're not connecting, and I'm right. Uh, you're just not like not truly connecting. You're you're just good job, good job. And in in that book I mentioned, Soul of Discipline. I actually have a thing, you know, I think it's called eight good reasons to go on a good job diet. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, just, it's not that saying good job is not, it, it, you know, you can say that authentically, but I've heard that said so many times and parents aren't even paying attention. You know? Right. And, right. And, and in that way, a child, particularly little ones, are kind of confused because yes. they hear praise 
with words, but there isn't a presence and attention behind it. That that's so crucial, and and I have to acknowledge, and it's something I try to do on this podcast when it occurs to me, because uh, I feel it's so important. I was uh, yesterday, my I in between patients, I walk out of my study here, and I, my son who had gotten home from school uh, is on his iPad, so I'll acknowledge that, and. Uh, you know, I said, dude, how are you? How was your day? And, you know, you know, he, he starts to say that, you know, he did something well, and I did the good job thing. Mm. And yet, I know I was not paying attention. <laughs> and I wonder how many times I have done that, because to your point, you know, the times that I pause, and as I like to say, practice presencing, you know, and, and really drop in with him, with my daughter, they feel it. They immediately feel the presence. And I may end up saying the same words, maybe not good job, but I might, you know, other praise words where I'm saying, Hey, you really showed up to that. That is so awesome. My friend, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but I, you know, I might say it from that good job standpoint and it doesn't, it doesn't penetrate or it has a negative effect versus when I'm presencing those same words really go inside and plant a seed in in them. Well, affirmation, I find uh, affirmation and praise are kind of two different things anyway, but, uh, but I think about this in, in, in terms of brain development, in terms of just child development phases, when a child's young, I think a lot of the praise or the affirmation you give them is pretty practical. It's like, you know, thank you, Johnny, that you, you're bringing all those groceries in and I didn't even ask you. Yes. And so that was so helpful. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of what a little child is looking for is praise of their deeds. Of yes. Because they're little and they're not, you know, the emotional centers of the brain yet are only just, you know, waking up. They're not, you know, as functional as they will be later. And so, so that's why I'm not a real big fan of talking to very little kids about feelings and giving them lots of choices and asking yes. them to review their feelings. It makes kids feel kind of dumb and mad because they don't, it's like someone talking to you an ancient Egyptian and then looking at you like you really should understand. Right, right, right. Um, right. What's wrong with you not getting these hieroglyphics over here? Yeah, yeah really, really. Doesn't everyone can't everyone, you know, do that? And, and, but when a, when a child gets to about nine or 10, I think it's really worth, worth then saying, well, you know, when you, when you did that, that, that made your sister really feel welcome. Yeah. Yes. That made her feel, now you can talk about feelings because they're coming up to the crossing of the corpus callosum, you know, as you know, the brain cause and effect feelings start to light up a, a little bit more and you can talk about feelings, but if, you know, or you can ask, how are you feeling about that? Is that going okay? You ask a three-year-old, how are you feeling about that? We're back to, we're back to hieroglyphics. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and then for older ones, I, I find the praise or the prizing to use your great term uh, for 15, 16. I have a 19 year old daughter right now and she just likes nothing more than to hear an affirmation for her thinking. Yes. Uh, like I say, you know, you really thought your way through that. That, yes. was, that was amazing the way, you know, you, you figured out 
how what was going on with the timing belt on the car by the way i'm not making this up this <laughs> sounds like you're not making it up <laughs> right she just did she just figured out the timing belt thing that uh and um and so it moves from little kids i think really you can it, the, the praise they want has to be really practical and based in the will yeah. based in doing and then kids who are getting in, into, into elementary, but into middle school, you can talk to them about the things they do, but now you can talk to them. You can praise and affirm the fact that they really thought that they, they really felt something and they, and they took into account other people's feelings. And when you're dealing with teenagers, the previous to apply, of course, but gosh, they, they enjoy that affirmation that, that of their thoughtfulness. Yes. Um, that so that is, and I love how you're breaking that down by yeah. developmental stage. That's so cool. Yeah. Kim, Kim, I know, I know we're out of time, which is unfortunate because I, I could keep going uh, and going, uh, but I know we both, we both have uh, appointments here, but how can people, you know, where can people go to learn more about you, your work and, and what's current for you? Yeah, you know, uh, I know exactly what you mean by that. But if I can just be a bit playful with that, if people want to go more into the theme that we've been discussing, they can go into themselves. Oh, I love that. Right. I love that. <laughs> um, that is a very unique response when I do that thing at the end of the episode. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because that's primary. Secondarily, if if they want to learn more about my work, it's it's just it's simplicity parenting. Yes. And uh, there's a, just a ton of stuff. A lot of people are, are like, like perhaps like you, Mitch, a lot of people are enjoying these podcasts. I, I do podcasts every week called The Simplicity Diaries. And, um, you know, you'll hear me walk. I live on a farm. You'll hear me walk around. You'll hear the goats or the horses or the sheep. And I'm just yes. talking about little 10-minute uh, uh, thoughts around living simply, living balanced, and, live, and giving children a childhood. And that's on uh, iTunes and so on. Again, it's just called Simplicity Parenting. Love it. Love it. Kim, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation, hopefully, and I'm sure very helpful for people. And I, I hope we can do this again, because I, I, I mean it. I could keep going. I'm, uh, I think this is a great conversation. Yeah, but but thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mitch. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of The Prize of Possibility. I hope you found things of benefit here. If so, please consider giving this show a positive review. Such feedback is not only great to hear, um, it also really helps elevate the show so that others can find benefit from it. Please stay tuned. More episodes, some great guests on the way so that we can together discover these true life prizes in daily life. Take care.